And the question is, where do, where do the White Sox go from here with the decisions they have to make? That is the voice of David Sampson, and we are delighted to have the former Marlins president join us now. He's the host of Nothing Personal Daily and part of CBS Sports HQ. He joins us on the Signature Bank Score Hotline. Signature Bank, making commercial banking personal. David, good morning. How are you? I am doing great. How are you? You know, we're troubled by uh, the, uh, the the MLB investigation of Mike Clevenger that we learned about yesterday, uh, uh, a former uh, girlfriend, the mother of his child, um, accusing him of, uh, of, of abuse, both uh, in terms of, uh, of her and their child together. And, you know, it's, a, it's disturbing allegations. And I understand that, uh, that the investigation has just started, but I don't, I don't think there's a lot of people that, that really understand how it got to this point, how you go out and sign a guy to a contract when this is hanging over his head. And I, I understand MLB can't, can't to tell you about it, the players. So I understand the difficulty in revealing information, but is there a way that you're supposed to know this? Did you not do the correct due diligence if indeed this, uh, this allegation got past you somehow before you signed a guy? So when you're signing a free agent, you are trying to find out everything you can much like when you draft an amateur player, when you're trading for a player, you're talking to people around the league. Sometimes you're asking uh, GMs of the team where the player once played, you know, what's this player like? You talk to teammates who may have played with that player, but sometimes you do nothing. And the times you do nothing are when you really want the player, you need someone in your rotation, you need someone in your lineup, and you're willing to turn the other cheek. Every time I find a player... I would call Major League Baseball. I would speak to as many people as I could speak to, and I still got burned more often than not by lack of performance, by overpaying, and by getting myself in a heap of trouble because I was so focused on getting a player. And then you have to decide, are you going to die on that hill? And I know Jerry Reinsdorf well. I am shocked that he has not been released. And the reason I'm shocked is that this is not – the type of person who Jerry wants to be associated with. But the problem is, what if he didn't do anything? That's why the investigation happens. But even the fact that there's an investigation means something happened. They don't just do, in the Department of Investigations, they don't just do preemptive investigations. There has to have been a complaint. There has to have been a situation. And these guys know what they're doing. They know when there's nothing happening and it's just a scorned woman or man or something they speak to the authorities. They have a lot of money that they put into these investigations. And for me, it's just not worth it. Why go into a season with this distraction? Why go into a season with a player who's not even that good and now brings this level of distraction that is offensive to your fan base or certainly should be? David, I totally agree with you. We both do, and that's a consensus in Chicago. That said, if the White Sox agree and we're giving them the benefit of the doubt that they did not find out about this until after signing Mike Clevenger, is there language in the CBA that we're unaware of? Is there, are there protocols that need to be followed that prevent them from acting as impulsively as or reacting just emotionally 
to the to the revelation that he is under investigation. Are they able to do what they want to do if they're compelled to release him? You are always able to do what you want to do, but what you're talking about is the fight over the termination for for cause language in the contract. Termination for cause is when you can release a player and not pay him. If you're willing to pay him the $12 million just to disappear, then there's nothing that the union is going to say or the league. You pay him the $12 million, $2 million a month for the six months. You never show him in a uniform, in the White Sox uniform. You don't let him come to spring training. You don't let him do any of these off-season fan fest events, and you just move on. But if Jerry Reinsdorf is trying to save the money, then you've got to let the process play out and hope that he is suspended by the league, and then you get suspended without pay, and then you get to save money. So sometimes what happens, like with Trevor Bauer, they needed to wait to see what was going to happen with his suspension, and they were dealing with luxury tax ramifications because they're so close to that tax. The White Sox are not close to that level. They don't have that issue right now. They could simply write the check and move on, or they could choose to fight it, And to fight it, you can't just move on. You've got to keep the player because if you terminate him and and don't pay, then you can actually get in trouble. So you're going to let the process play out. But keep in mind, players don't start getting paid until April. So, in fact, that they could wait until April to see if there's going to be a suspension. But to me, the negative PR is so significant in this case that the advantage of keeping him through some sort of finality of the investigation does not seem worth it. Yeah, and, you know, I got to tell you, um, it, it's just a situation. I, I understand, and I, I saw the language in the – the MLB is not allowed to give a team a heads up. And, uh, and certainly the Players Association don't want that to happen. But this is a public relations disaster. And I can't, I can't figure out for the life of me – why you can't just, you know, when you try to sign a guy, why why can't someone just whisper to you, hey, you might want to wait a month. You know, you might not want to rush into that. That's all I'm going to say. Something so like that. when it comes to domestic yeah. violence, you don't get those whispers. Those whispers do come. You, you remember the whole collusion situation in baseball. Right. The commissioner's office does give you whispers when you are signing a free agent. When you're signing Dansby Swanson and you're giving him $177 million, you can see where the shortstop market is. MLB can help you understand where he should slot with these other contracts that are coming out. There will be whispers in that regard. But when it comes to steroids and domestic violence, they are tight-lipped. And the reason they are is that you're talking about someone's life. You're talking about uh, impacting families, impacting people for the rest of their lives. Once you are associated with domestic violence, it's you know the second or first line of your obituary type of thing. Being overpaid is not part of your legacy, but when you are accused of something that you've either done or not done, as you know, that tends to stick quite a bit longer. So they are really tight-lipped about that, and I actually appreciate that as a team president, but believe me, it hurts. So my example is D. Gordon, one of our players, got suspended for steroids, and we had signed him to a long-term deal, and I just wanted, hey, guys, you couldn't have mentioned something you know, just anything that there was a thought that, that there could be a steroid issue here, because I certainly didn't think there could be. And my answer was told to me, no, we can't tell you a thing. And there's no leaks in that regard, which is pretty crazy because in the commissioner's office, it's a sieve. But when it comes to these sort of things, you just don't leak it.
David, I want to go back to something you referred to earlier when you said that the Major League Baseball investigative arm of of, of the of the league is is so strong that they wouldn't necessarily go into something like this unless they felt like they they had a good reason to. This isn't just a a fly by night decision that say, well, we need to explore this because we've got a tip and this and that. Have you had experience in that regard? And, and what makes you believe that? I guess expand on that belief that you know if they are going to look into this it's likely that they have reason to and they could find something they're so busy they're not looking for cases to look into when there's nothing to see they have way too much to do and it's still a very big department and a very well-funded department and they're all still very very busy and again this is jerry reinsdorf in the beginning his relationship with rob manford was not very good he did not vote for rob manford when rob was trying to become commissioner but their relationship has gotten much better over the years. And Rob is not happy that Jerry is going through this and not happy that Jerry is having these PR issues, but Jerry could have taken care of this. And the way you take care of it is saying, we have zero tolerance, hard stop. I am sorry. We made a mistake. We did not know. And the minute we found out that he was under investigation, we are putting him, we are suspending him with pay but he will not be a part of this organization until the investigation is complete. And we are convinced that there is absolutely nothing that went on here. And then we'll go on with our relationship with him. There's nothing stopping Jerry from doing that. And I'm pretty surprised he hasn't done it yet. You know, this, this is obviously the main issue right now. And then you got to look at it and you got to say, Hey, how do you, you know, if you're moving beyond this guy, which I'm, I'm hopeful they will, then how do you fill that position, right? And the Sox are claiming that they've spent enough money and they can't go out and, and sign someone like Michael Walker or whoever is still available. Um, are there any internal options? You know, is, is the idea of, of taking a guy who's made a, an impact in the bullpen and Ronaldo Lopez after kind of failing as a starter, could you move him back and, and try to do something with him? I mean, we're talking about a fourth or fifth starter here we're not talking about um, replacing a, an ace. And that's really why I'm even more surprised by how this is going. Mike Clevenger, the name, is not who he is as a talent the way he used to be. He is an oft-injured player whose performance is mediocre at best. He is a rotation filler. That's all he is. So I couldn't agree with you more. And this is terrible to say, but when you run a team, the talent of the player has a far bigger impact on the punishment meted by the team and the swiftness in which that punishment is handed out, there is a direct correlation that probably shouldn't exist, but in the real world does exist. So when you've got a fringe starter where this is happening, even though you'll have egg on your face because you just signed into a free agent deal, a one-year deal, just move on. Get rid of the story. Get into spring training and start stretching out your long uh, relievers. Start thinking about, in your minor league system, who has a chance to win a job out of spring training in the rotation. Every team has a stable of 14 people on their bulletin board who they know are going to get starts during the course of the year because that's how it goes with injuries and lack of performance. Just move everybody up one, monitor the waiver wire, figure out if there's some trades you can do during spring training to get some rotation depth. But you've got plenty of opportunities to replace a Clevenger we're not talking about replacing Cy Young here. David, I think that we, we, we talk about 
the due diligence that uh, the White Sox did or didn't do with Mike Clevenger and signing him. Yeah, you respect the fact that if MLB was investigating, they're protecting the privacy of players, and, and I think executives probably understand and accept that premise. But also, I think a lot of people might be listening and, and seeing some things. It took people 15 minutes to go on the Internet the other day and, and do a Google search on Mike Clevenger and see that his, one of his best friends is Trevor Bauer and to see the allegations um, linking to that, some of the, the video evidence being presented on social media, if you will. I, I just wonder, are you – is it fair to hold the White Sox responsible for not doing enough even – with respect to the fact that the MLB investigative arm might not have let them know they were looking into Mike Clevenger. If we didn't sign players because we didn't like who they were best friends with, then the three of us would be the starting rotation. So <laughs> that, that is not the criteria that we look for. Who does this guy hang out with? Now we'll talk about it in terms of if from a partying standpoint, Man, we got to be careful. We're going to assign a veteran who understands what to do on the road, who understands the rest that a player needs, and we're going to have that veteran work with a rookie to make sure that rookie who we're high on is understanding about what it is to be a major leaguer because it's pretty hard for these kids, especially kids, Dominican kids who have come, come to the States, don't speak much English, have more money than they've ever had. Things can go south in a hurry. So we'll match people up and, and we'll do buddy systems and things like that. But in terms of just because Trevor Bauer was his best friend, therefore that means you don't sign him. No, that is not something I would expect a team to do, nor I would want a team to do. Uh, I would not want to be evaluated by all the people I've hung out with over the course of my life. And frankly, other people are saying that about me. So that is not anything. So I don't blame the White Sox for anything that happened until word came out. Now I blame the White Sox for everything they've done since then. But the process by which they signed him, I mean, the only thing I could critique is that Mike Clevenger is not a $12 million pitcher, but that's neither here nor there. But now I am critical because they could have done something to end this news cycle. And then the three of us today could have been talking about the Cubs and whether or not having Bellinger and Mancini is the panacea that they hope it is. And God, I hope you guys don't think that it is. <laughs> well, let's get to that. I mean, why not? Hold that for a segue. No, that's pretty damn good. Um, I'm curious as to why. God, so am I. So owners are funny. The way, the way it works is you've got someone named uh, Bellinger, right? Cody Bellinger, former MVP. And what you say about a player like that is COS is what we called it. And it's the old change of scenery. And I've convinced myself maybe 50 times over my 18 years that I could take a player who had a great year four years ago and with a change of scenery, that player will be what he was, not what he is. And I have been wrong 95% of the time because it turns out what players are is what players are. And players who have had a great run, whatever the reason is and whatever you want to say about Bellinger, he's not an MVP. Now, you sign him to what do they give him? I'm guessing one year, like $17 million or something. It's not a long commitment, so it's sort of a flyer. But that's something that the Marlins or the Guardians could never do. You're not going to give $17 million for a player who's a reclaim, and that's all Bellinger is right now, a reclaim. And if you think as a Cubs fan that he's going to be sort of the replacement to Chris Bryant and he's going to be your new MVP, it just means you're not really paying attention. 
Okay, I'll push back a little bit here then, David, since we're having a baseball conversation. Look, Cody Bellinger's a one-year prove-it deal who's a placeholder for the prospects in the system. The Cubs spent over $300 million and added more new free agents than any team in baseball. They had a very good winner. So if, if by a very good winter you mean having new names and signing bulks of free agents, how are you going to argue to me that you want to see Trey Mancini get 500 at-bats on your team and say that you're going to have a winning team? What part of that makes you think that he's the difference for you? Same with Bellinger. You're going to give these guys a thousand at-bats and think that you're going to compete in your division? I just don't see that happening. I understand why they did it. I understand these are low-risk signings with upside if these players are who they used to be. But scouts will tell you they're exactly who they are. Now, Swanson, I love the deal. I don't love going seven years at $25 million, let's say only because I worry about his ability to be off the Braves and sort of that team where he's not counted on to be the guy. He's a guy. You put him on the Cubs, and he's got to be more of the guy than a guy, and I'm just not sure that he is the guy. So that's going to be interesting as they sort of navigate their lineup, but he's certainly a great player to have in your clubhouse. He is a winning player with a winning pedigree. It, it just reminded me – they're off season a little bit of when Tom Ricketts got frustrated during the rebuild and signed Edwin Jackson. I don't know if you guys remember that. I don't remember what year it was. Oh, yeah. But Rick, Ricketts got angry. Oh, my God, the team stinks. We got, we got to do something to pacify the fans and me because I'm so despondent. Edwin Jackson, let's give him whatever they gave him, out, like five years, $55 million or whatever, the, whatever it was. I can't remember. And in the industry, we looked and said, wow, there's an owner who stopped listening to his GM. And when you sign like a Jamison Tag Talon, which is another another pitcher, I can't remember what he got, but something like four years, sixty-five million or seventy yes. million dollars. Sixty-eight, yeah. Sixty. Well, that's that's Price is Right. I think I'm a winner on that. Um, <laughs> yep. That is, uh, he's not that. He's just not that. He is a a sort of innings guy, middle of the rotation guy. And in baseball, you've learned quickly you need top end of rotation people. I'd rather have one $30 million pitcher who I know is going to get me healthy 30 starts and stop winning streaks and continue, uh, stop losing streaks and continue winning streaks than get three 12 or $14 million guys who are all going to get me a four and a half to five ERA. And I go into that game thinking that I'm likely not going to win. So it's just a difference of opinion, but I'm not crit critical of the Cubs and what they're trying to do. Uh, I'm just surprised that there's this number of players who they're taking flyers on for what they think they could be again. Uh, David, quickly on the White Sox, um, the big story this week before the Clevenger disaster, it was Eloy Jimenez coming on a Zoom call and letting everyone know that, no, I'm not a DH, and it doesn't matter <laughs> that they signed Ben Attendee. I'm going to play right field now if uh, if that's what I have to do. Now, I don't blame a 26-year-old guy that wants to, to, to play in the outfield that doesn't want to be a DH, but the idea that they haven't explained this to him is confounding to me. Aloy in the outfield was always a bit of an issue, and there was always fear of injury and weird things happening. He's clearly a DH. We thought the White Sox, by signing Ben Attendee, were letting him know that he's a DH. And it turns out now he wants to play some right field, and they've talked about playing him once a week in right field. He, he doesn't have an arm to play right field. 
Yeah, so when you sign a free agent, in theory, you're supposed to talk to an existing player who will be impacted by that signing. And often that player will say, yeah, I'm supportive. It's great. I'll move to third base or I'll move to shortstop or to second base or I'll take some DH at that. But then the agents get in the way and they talk about what the future value is of a player where you don't want to be a full-time DH at a young age because it becomes limiting. But those were the days when DH was only in half the league. Now players are more okay being DHs because there's still 30 jobs available because DH is universal. But what you're really asking about is communication. And it is very common for teams to not communicate with players as much as the players would like. There's a big difference of opinion amongst GMs as to how much you should tell your players about what you're doing. And I always erred on talking to players too much. And I had GMs who erred with talking to players not enough. And we ended up somewhere in the middle, which I think works most of the time. But we still had players who were confused about their role. And we would have to say to them, let it play out. We don't know exactly what's going to happen. Just come to spring training ready to win. And then we use the end line, which is my favorite, which is when we're winning, you won't care where you're playing. And we say that hoping that that's enough. But with the way the money is in the game, it doesn't work all the time anymore. <laughs> great David, stuff. great stuff. Always appreciate talking to you. Thanks a ton. Hey, have a great day. Thank you. That is David Sampson. That's fantastic. Wow. A lot of stuff there. A lot Dustin to go over. is going to be upset with that Cubs comment because the Cubs got, like, a lot of, like, really good citizens this year. I was upset with that Cubs comment. I think, yeah. it unders- I think it undersold what they did this offseason, right. but he did support his contention well. All right. Mully and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, 6-7 to the score. It's going to be a problem. You're going to be a problem. I think the White House they had to be ready to plan B without him. Because I think Major League Baseball is going to punish him. And the way they're punishing people doing those kind of things, it's not the one, the easiest one to escape. Mully and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score that, of course, the voice of Ozzie Guillen, Ozzie was with us yesterday talking about about Mike Clevenger and that situation. And we are delighted to... uh, to welcome in uh, Amy Dash. Uh, she is the Odyssey Legal Insider. Amy Dash, Insider Calls, presented by BetQL. Get access to data and insights the sports books don't want you to see. Bet smarter and beat the books. Go ahead and visit BetQL app today, betql.com. And, uh, and Amy now on the Signature Bank score hotline. Signature Bank, making commercial banking personal. Amy, good morning. How are you? I'm doing great. Good morning, guys. How are you guys? Well, we're troubled by this uh, Mike Clevenger uh, announcement and this issue that MLB has been looking into him uh, for uh, allegations of uh, domestic abuse, of child abuse, kind of horrific stuff. And and the White Sox apparently didn't know about it. And, you know, now they're going to have to kind of sit and wait and see how the legal thing plays out unless they want to just pay them off and move on. And, and we're troubled by the idea that there is no um, recourse for them. I mean, it seems like it's it's insincere to sign a contract when you know you have this hanging over your head. Yeah, well, I think there may be some sort of a clause in the contract, and I'm speculating here, uh, but usually there's a warranties and reps clause. And so 
you know, I can't imagine that he would sign and there wouldn't be some sort of requirement in the contract to disclose something like this. So on that basis, if he breached the warranties and reps clause, then they could theoretically release him from the contract and try to get off the hook from having to pay him. But I'm more shocked that Major League Baseball wouldn't notify, forget about the public, they should have done that regardless, but the other teams at least internally send out some sort of an announcement saying, hey, listen, we're investigating this player for some serious charges. Or in the alternative, they hear that he's been signed. How do they not reach out to the team and say, hey, listen, you may want to know this? Well, I think there are privacy concerns that we just talked to David Sampson about. They're trying to protect, and there might be reasons that they can defend that decision or that inaction, if you will. And But I think common sense does make you wonder why somebody wasn't aware of this, why somebody wasn't made aware of this, especially given the serious nature of the allegations. So, Amy, I ask yeah. you this. I don't this think is there's a, privacy concerns. Like, it, just, just to your point, I think there's probably privacy concerns with disclosing the name of the victim, but I don't think there's privacy concerns with just generally stating this player is under investigation because you saw how quickly they were able to confirm that once the story hit the press. And I think that's a little bit of a hypocritical move by MLB because they're claiming to have absolutely zero tolerance for this kind of stuff and then not even informing the teams, at least internally, or at least just the White Sox, that something is going on, that there's an investigation since the summer. Well, certainly the context would be different. I agree with you there. And, and I think that uh, it would be also different if there were criminal or civil action accompanying this investigation. So far, that is not the case. Do you expect that? And does any element of that surprise you? Uh, I think there could be an ongoing investigation. My biggest question is whether there were police reports filed at the time of these alleged incidents. And I think that's going to be critical to not only an investigation, because an investigation can take place no matter what, but the determination of whether charges will actually be filed. It seems like this woman has evidence. There's a potential that there's another woman who's been involved, at least as that's what You know, this woman is claiming that another woman that he was involved with that he allegedly has children with was also being abused. And there are apparently some text messages between these two women. If you have a second person come forward, that could bolster uh, a potential case. If you have evidence, which it seems that she's releasing pictures and text messages, that could as well. But the police report at the very time it happened, it's really, really critical because a lot of times, even if you have evidence, There could be a big back and forth, he said, she said, and if there are any credibility issues, sometimes the uh, police will, even if they recommend charges, the district attorney will decide not to move forward with a case like that, just because it's hard to prove. Now, if they do move forward with it, uh, the allegations here are, you know, strangulation, um, throwing an iPad at her pregnant. She's claiming that that's what he did, that she has, she's showing pictures of, of her alleged injuries, uh, you know, allegations of child abuse, throwing chewing tobacco at an infant. These are serious allegations, and all of them or some of them could rise to the level of felonies if the evidence is there to support it. And so, you know, I think immediately if there is any type of a felony charge, even if it's eventually pleaded down to misdemeanor or dropped, I think, you know, he's going to be released. But I think he'll be released no matter what. I mean, this is a guy coming out of free agency. He's on a one-year contract. So I think it, by the time the investigation wraps and if there's a suspension, which there probably will be even if there's no charges filed because of the history of how they handle these types of things, you know, we saw with Trevor Bauer 
no criminal charges, still got the longest active player suspension in history. So I think by the time the suspension or the investigation wraps up, if it eats up most of the season, I, I think he'll be released either before that or at the end of the season, and he's not going to be re-signed. Yeah, I, I I agree with you. I just I and I think that you know from a moral standpoint, the question is, do you want to just release him now and not go through waiting for this, or do you do you harbor kind of resentment for the guy and you want to make sure you're not giving him money? for signing with you. Yeah, I, I, and I understand both dilemmas, but I, I wonder if you decided to clear it to just kind of, you know, pay him off whatever the term is to just get rid of this thing. Um, could you have a case if he's suspended after the fact? Could you, you know, in, in other words, could you kind of, uh, could you release him, wait and see the results, and then, you know, hold your money until uh, – until you make him come after it, then you have a, a legal suit against him. Yeah, I think it really comes down to the language of the contract, and they're going to be combing through it, seeing if there's any way to release him and get off the hook. Like I said, maybe a breach of the warranties and reps, um, or there might be something in the contract that says if he's placed on administrative leave or if he's suspended. So it depends on how many steps need to be taken under the contract to try to get out of paying him. And if it's something as simple as he's placed on administrative leave, um, and, and he can be released, then they'll release him the second he's placed on administrative leave. If it says you have to be suspended by MLB or if it goes so far as to say you'd have to be charged with a felony, they might wait it out just to not have to pay this guy. Um, but my hunch is that just based on what I've seen other teams do is the second that he's either placed on administrative leave or suspended in the same vein as with Trevor Bauer and how the Dodgers released him, I think at that point they'll probably release him. That was a major statement by Major League Baseball. I think they'll wait for it to get to the criminal stage. Yeah, the MLB, when they acted against Trevor Bauer, were, Rob Manfred was applauded for being you know, swift and, swift and decisive. And, and I wonder, Amy, because you cover all the professional sports, college sports, unfortunately, domestic abuse and these allegations and investigations are commonplace in, in college and pro sports. How would you uh, assess or put you know, Major League Baseball – the way this is being handled with other leagues, and do you think that that should give us a degree of confidence that they will handle this the right way or not? I think they've definitely led the way in this type of stuff, um, especially with the the Bauer decision, the fact that there was no permanent restraining order against him, the fact that there was no criminal charges. He had such a strong campaign from his attorneys and his PR people with all the lawsuits against different media publications to try to, you know, proclaim his innocence. And there were a lot of allegations that he made against his accuser, even going so far as to sue her, you know, claiming she doctored photos and all this stuff. So he was on a major I'm innocent campaign and still Major League Baseball, you know, came down very hard on him. Um, and if you look at the NFL, you know, there's a domestic violence allegation against a 49er and he's still going to be playing on Sunday as a it's, I think it depends on the facts of the allegations. For example, in that case, you know, the allegations that he pushed his spouse to the ground. Obviously, no form of domestic violence should ever be tolerated. But when you have a situation like this or like Bauer, where the allegations rise to a certain level, you know, right here with Clevenger, where he's talking about potential abuse against a child, where you might have one, maybe two uh, former spouses or former uh, girls he was in a relationship with accusing him of of inflicting severe and serious bodily, bodily injuries on them. 
um, which is something that could bring something from a misdemeanor up to the level of a felony. I think in those circumstances, Major League Baseball has been really good about being extremely um, strict in terms of the level of suspensions and placing people on administrative leave right away. Um, I, they also have this section of their new policy. Well, not so new. It came up in 2015, but, you know, that they're trying to get people into different interventions, different rehabs. And I think that's great, too. Um, so, again, it really depends on what the allegations are, how serious they are. Are they going to try to rehab the person or are they going to just say, you know, this is not worth it? And it depends on the level of player, of course. That's so true. Amy, thank you so much. Really appreciate your time. Sure. Thanks, Amy. Have a great day, guys. Bye. That was Odyssey Legal Insider Amy Dash. Insider calls are presented by BetQL. BetQL is here to help us all make better bets through real proven analytics. Bet smarter, beat the books. Download the BetQL app or visit BetQL.com today. So we just had back-to-back guests who had real good insight and information, Molly, on the Mike Clevenger situation with the White Sox. When we come back, let's kind of summarize what they said because they were both very strong. Molly and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, 6-7 of the score. Molly and Haw, flashback. Flashback, flashback, flashback. Jerry could have taken care of this. And the way you take care of it is saying, we have zero tolerance, hard stop. I am sorry. We made a mistake. We did not know. And the minute we found out that he was under investigation, we are putting him, we are suspending him with pay. But he will not be a part of this organization until the investigation is complete. And we are convinced that there is absolutely nothing that went on here. And I'm pretty surprised he hasn't done it yet. Mully and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio 6-7 of the score. That is is the voice of David Sampson. We talked to him uh, a little bit earlier, and then we talked to Amy Dash, the uh, the Odyssey uh, legal expert. And I got to tell you, between the two of them, it just reinforces what I have felt since this story uh, started, David. That you know what what is what are we doing here? What what are you waiting on? What are you after? I, I mean, again. This guy, it's 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 hardly worth the, the embarrassment of uh, trying to save a million dollars, whatever it is. Thank you. I know it's easy to spend other people's money, but you're not depriving somebody of his freedom. You are just making a choice not to have him represent your baseball organization and your city, frankly. So I think a lot of people look at this the same way. And back-to-back uh, -back guests, they both had a great insight and information. And I think that Mully... David Sampson saying what he said does put the pressure on Jerry Reinsdorf because other people agree with that sentiment. And I think David Sampson has the benefit of that experience having been in charge of a, the Marlins organization. He understands that it's not as easy as he makes it sound. So the fact that he would be as emphatic anyway, I think it underscores just how necessary that next move is, should be from Jerry Reinsdorf because it starts with him. Yeah, and I, and I get it. It's not as easy as it sounds, but you know what? It's not that difficult, David. It, it, it is. It is a very simple decision you make. I I think the only argument I could I could go along with is: listen, we don't want to pay this guy a dime. This guy's not worth it, and we're not going to give him any money. Okay, but just get you know. Then you know what you do. You just cut him, and and say that you know we have reached cross purpose with the guy, and don't pay him. 
Let him come and sue you for the money and fight him until he's uh, drained himself. I don't think you have to explain anything if you make that move. Now, you can support that move and that action with words that tell uh, your fan base how serious you take this matter and how much you want to have representatives that reflect your organization better than that guy. So, okay, that's number one, pressure on Reinsdorf. Secondly, Mully, I thought it was interesting David Sampson talked about due diligence is – is very much up, yeah. open for interpretation. <laughs> yeah. yes. How diligent do you want to be when you are performing your due diligence? And I don't know, or I don't know if it's fair to question the White Sox in this case. I would like to think that it would be easier to find out some things that might be red flags, but we don't know until they tell us exactly what went into the background checking. Yeah, I think what David said in, in a nutshell was, you know, you're only going to learn what you look for. You're only if if you say to yourself like God, God, this is you know what we need a, we need another guy, this guy's good enough, this will work, this isn't a bad deal, then you stop maybe your investigation. You don't ask yourself like, why is this guy out there? Why does nobody? You, you don't. I mean, you only learn what you're looking for. And if you're if you're satisfied with a kind of base, like well, you know, I ran a Google search. Then that, and I'm I'm being you know facetious, but sure. yeah, I mean due diligence is, are you are you really trying to figure out exactly why the guy's available and why he's willing to sign as early as he did and isn't attempting to, to you know you maybe you hear what you want to hear if you're if you're uh, of the belief that everybody wants to be a part of your operation if some guy says oh you know I've always loved you and I I always wanted to be with you. Okay, well, yeah, that makes sense because we are the greatest. But he made it sound like they could have figured this out if they spent five minutes on it. That's what I heard. And and I know that that may not be fair because we have to hear the White Sox side of it. So I guess we can reserve full judgment. But I do think that probably internally, as mad and angry as the White Sox are about this development and what it forces them to have to do, just because of the reality, nobody wants to confront something like this. It's an ugly situation. It's disturbing and disappointing. But, Molly, they've got to be mad at themselves. Oh, really, yeah. they've got to be mad at themselves that they didn't catch this, that they didn't see a red flag when they had a conversation with somebody in his past or maybe a former teammate or whatever the case may be. We don't know. But don't they have to be maddest at themselves for not getting in front of this better than they have? I think we've been very fair with the White Sox, and we didn't go after them yesterday about due diligence. We didn't. We talked about, uh, you know, the idea that they were duped in some fashion, and and uh, and we didn't really pick on them about it. But I do think there is an element of hearing what you want to hear, of believing what you want to believe, as opposed to finding out everything you need. You know, the, listening is a skill. Am I listening to find out the information I'm being given or am I listening for what I really want to hear and confirmation of that? Because I really need a fifth starter. (laughs) I mean, that's sometimes you talk yourself into things or you don't listen as well. Last thing, Molly, I think Amy Dash underscored this. You look at the Trevor Bauer case, and I know it's not similar, and I know that's the worst maybe extreme example you could point to, but what it did tell – teams in major league baseball is that you don't necessarily need to wait for any sort of criminal component any sort of civil component to this or punishment if you will rob manfred acted based on these allegations and what was available to the investigative arm 
of Major League Baseball, and that was swift, and it was severe, and it was historic. So I think they made a statement with the Trevor Bauer discipline that doesn't bode well for Mike Clevenger whenever they get around to it. Yeah, and and I think um, with Bauer, obviously the, they had to pay $20 million to get out of it, right? And they were willing to pay. They, they tried to trade him, and there were no takers. So they had no problem paying that money because they just didn't want to be associated with the guy. And I haven't seen him sign anywhere. I guess, you know, maybe there's an opening on a rotation in Chicago. Um, yeah, I'm <laughs> oh, sorry. That's oh, a bad God. joke. That was oh, just God. a bad joke. I know. I know I, you were being facetious. Yeah. But, but, you know, before this happened, how many texters did we get wondering – Hey, what would the Sox be in on Trevor Bauer? What about the Cards? Would they? Yeah, be, you know? yeah, yeah. Of course. I mean, listen, you know. No thanks. Uh, the the um, it's a it's a really, it's a difficult. It, see, to me, it's not difficult. It's easy. You know, you, it's easy. Trevor Bauer. It, it, uh, yeah, I, I don't want any part of that guy. Uh, you, you know, Mike Clevenger. Here you go, son. Hey, you got us. Take the money and run. I wouldn't. I don't think I'd even hesitate. Maybe if I if I if I thought I could save the money, I'd let him come at me for it. But I I don't. You know, and I don't know. Would would the players' association represent him and all that? Who knows? But, it's but hard I mean, to talk about, but it's yeah. easy to act. It would be it's, easy to act here. I I don't want to see that guy. I I think even if you Google him and there's an image of him in a White Sox hat, that kind of makes my skin crawl. And everybody's going to say, you know, you're overreacting. You've got to let it all play out. No, I don't. I don't want to be, I don't want to be associated with the guy. Okay. That's, it's as simple as that. I don't want to see the guy wear my team's colors and I don't want to watch him ever play with the Chicago White Sox. I don't want the guy at training camp. I don't want him warming up. 